Your financial mission, should you choose to accept it, is to achieve financial clarity. New Intel suggests that bad financial actors are constantly filling the landscape with misinformation and other barriers and obstacles, leaving you with limited time to make the right choices for a successful financial future. To make things easier, we've chosen your team for you. Financial Commander Janine Theus will help lead you to success. As always, should you avoid the excellent guidance you're about to receive, you'll be disavowed. Also, this message will self-destruct in three seconds. Three, two, one. Well, thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Your Financial Mission. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Janine Theus. She is the CEO and founder of Theus Wealth Advisors, your financial commander here on the program, helping us navigate through that sometimes treacherous and hard to understand financial world, but we try to make it a little bit easier on the show each and every time. Janine serves you throughout Columbia and Howard County. You can find us online at theuswealthadvisors.com. Janine, I'm looking forward to diving in today. How have you been? I've been great. It's going to be an interesting um, conversation this morning. Yeah, we've got a a lot to dive into today. Coming up a little bit later, we're going to check out what's happening in the news in the world of financial planning. And our topic there will be a little bit about some uh, news headlines revolving around student loan debt and how the fact that outstanding loans total about $1.5 trillion. Janine, kind of hard to wrap your head around that, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And there's some very interesting statistics on um, the ripple effect that's going to occur. We're going to dive into that topic a little bit later on in today's show. Plus, Mike's got a good question for us about selling his house soon and wanting to maybe end up with, you know, some money from the sale of the house. What should they do with that large chunk of cash that they're going to end up as they downsize to a new home? So he's got some questions about that for Janine as well. Plus, much more all on the way today. But our main topic of the day, Janine, is to talk about the six things wasting away in your financial drunk drawer. Did I say drunk drawer? I think. Uh, <laughs> <You did. laughs> a junk drawer. That wasn't a Freudian slip, I promise. Yeah, same uh, thing. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's if you're drunk when you put it in the junk drawer, then it can, you know, kind of classify as both. Um, no, the junk drawer, I should say. You know, most of us, uh, I think, Janine, have one of these at home. I'm guessing you're raising your hand like I am. Oh, yeah. In fact, I only know one person who I'm pretty sure doesn't have a junk drawer, and she's so OCD organized at her house. It's unbelievable. She's got nine <laughs> kids, so it's like, okay, you're not human. But yes, most of us have a pretty significant junk drawer. We might all define it a little bit differently. Maybe it's got rubber bands in there, clothespins, highlighters, glue sticks, I don't know, uh, tape measure, label maker, pair of scissors or something like that. To me, the real definition of a junk drawer is just when you go to open it, you can barely get it open because things are spilling out and getting caught on the back edge of the drawers you're trying to open it. That pretty much is your definition of a junk drawer right there. Since we moved last year, I feel like we still haven't settled all of our drawers because when we move, like the last thing we do is take a whole bunch of time to figure out what cabinets and drawers to put everything in. So everything just kind of gets slammed into places. And now we've been working on so many other projects. We've like never circled back around to organizing that. So I kind of feel like every drawer is our junk drawer right now. But in any event, that's another story for another time. So most of us have a junk drawer. And interestingly, I think we could say most of us have a financial junk drawer as well. And so I want to talk about some of the things that end up in there and how they might be put to better use. Because if there's one thing about a junk drawer that happens 
happens to all of us. It's that things get left in there that we forget about, and we could be putting them to better use. And it's the same thing in the financial world. So here are the six things wasting away in your financial junk drawer. And Janine's going to tell us maybe what we could do a little bit better with these items. First on the list, Janine, is a really old life insurance policy. How often are you finding those wasting away in the junk drawer? I think that's one of the most common objects wasting away because people forget. One, I don't know that they ever understood. A lot of people don't really understand what they have. So you put it away in the drawer or the cabinet or the file file drawer and you've forgotten it and you don't know if it's term policy, how long it's for a term policy. But occasionally I'll get somebody that says, oh my gosh, the premium is just going to skyrocket. What do I do with this? And I said, well, that's term. So let's understand what you have. You have a 20-year level term. It was level for this period. And at the end of that period, it's going to skyrocket. So now you have to go back. And I'm always encouraging people, bring in your old policies because you have to understand at what point does this term policy term out? Or at what point can this permanent policy pay for itself? Or what's the purpose of it now that you're in retirement? So there are a couple of different conversations that occur around old insurance policies. And they really should, people should really review these because it's an important part of retirement planning. You know, the the industry itself says you don't need any insurance in retirement. And I would beg to differ. Yeah, I think that's a really good one, though, to mention about being in the junk drawer, because it wasn't that long ago, we got some life insurance policies, my wife and I, after getting, you know, getting married and buying a house, and we were like, okay, well, we need to be adults now and get these things in place. And, um, (laughs) you know, it's kind of funny, because a year later, mine's easy, because I guess it comes out on a draft each month, the way that we set mine up. But for hers, she was so cheap because she's so freaking healthy that we just, you know, we were like, well, we'll just pay it once a year. It's just a drop in the bucket for you because you're going to, everyone in your family lives to like 105 years old. So it's kind of almost a waste to have this life insurance on you. So we only pay it per year. And you know what? Now I don't even remember. I barely remember only because it's the same company as mine, you know, which company we got it from. I almost don't even remember like, what month we bought it. I'm like, oh, wait, have we paid it this year? Where's the bill? Oh, did we change the address? It's like the one place I forgot to change the address when we moved. It's just like the perfect example of something that just got like tucked away and forgotten about. Oh, yeah. And the other thing that happens is you may have a beneficiary change that you never told the insurance company about. Yeah. And that's really important because that's driving where that benefit is going to go should something happen to you. And sometimes people don't find out until the person passes away. A great story, a friend of my brother's, he's also an advisor. This guy was an advisor, did not change the beneficiary on the life insurance policy. When he passed away and he passed away prematurely, his first wife and kids didn't get any of the money. They were supposed to. The second wife got the money. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to estate planning, this is really important because the beneficiary drives, you know, the benefit, if you will. So people really do need to go back and check, what do I have? How does it work? And what do I want to have happen if something happens to me? Yeah. Those stories are more common than you might think about people just forgetting about those old life insurance policies. And then there you see some of the complications that come along with that. Speaking of things that get outdated and might be in that financial junk drawer, Janine, an outdated will or estate plan, kind of following the same principles here, right? Yeah. And what's really interesting when you look statistically is I think I heard this recently, probably half of the baby boomers don't have a will. So you're leaving your heirs, whoever they are, or survivors, to deal with an absolute mess even when you don't have things because there's things that you're leaving behind, things 
you know, material things. Is somebody supposed to just come and clean out your house? So, <laughs> um, so people really should review the wills like every five years or every time there's a life event, you know, d- death, divorce, those are the two most common, you know, death of a child, it changes your estate plan. And yeah. so one of the two documents, you know, there's will and everybody thinks estate plan is just about the will and the trust per se, but two of the most important documents you need to consider is the medical directive. What do you want them to do if you become incapacitated? And then the medical power of attorney, who you're going to give the power to make that decision to implement your instructions. It's not the, you're not telling this person pull the cord necessarily, but you are giving them permission to implement your instructions, which are in the medical directive. Is the way to think about it, a will is kind of like what happens, you know, strictly after you die, whereas the estate plan ends up being something that's, uh, if someone's trying to kind of understand the differences between the two, an estate plan, is that more all-encompassing that's dealing with other, you know, not just, okay, the material assets are going to go to you and go to you, but is it more all-encompassing and like talking about the healthcare, you know, directives and those kinds of things? Yeah, I think the estate plan really is an all-encompassing of the four main documents. A will is just a set of instructions. What do you want the court to sign off on for where your assets should go? And so you have things and property that you can say in your will where you want them to go or who you want them to go to. Any qualified plans, that's the beneficiary that trumps everything. So you better make sure your beneficiaries are correct and updated. Then on any you know other assets such as invested assets that are personal or jointly held, they're going to, by order of law, default to the survivor, the spouse survivor usually, or the partner survivor. But that you need to review that occasionally. The estate plan is going to encompass all those documents. This is our list of the six things wasting away in your financial junk drawer. The first two items on the list, the old life insurance policy and an outdated will or estate plan. Third thing, Janine, a social security estimate originally received during the Clinton administration. So you have not been paying attention <laughs> to those things coming in the mail, or maybe yours went to e-statements and you're not online. That's right. Um, yeah, you need to go back and look at what your social security benefit is. A lot of people do lose track of that, and then they do lose track because the rules have changed. You know, whether you can access a spousal benefit or if you had a spouse pass away, when can you take the widow or widower's benefit? There are a lot of things that change in social security, so you really do need to get that statement from them and then start a conversation of when is the best time for you to take social security if you're not already on it. A lot of things that have changed and a lot of things that likely will change. And am I right in that one of the reasons, a very simple one, but important one, why you want to make sure you're checking on those social security estimates each year is to make sure that they're getting accurate your income, because that has huge implications for how much you're going to make down the line. And there have been cases before where what gets reported to the Social Security Administration ends up not matching what someone actually earned that year. Yeah, you really do need to double check their numbers against your own numbers. And then remember that, because a lot of people don't realize that there's an indexed wage. So you could be making, you know, a significant amount, 160, whatever it is, a year, but Social Security is for that particular year is only going to index to a certain amount. So last year it was 127,000. If you make over that, well, only the 127 gets is counted for Social Security benefit. So you really need to go back and look, make sure that what you actually made is what is calculated. 
in the Social Security benefit or calculation. Sometimes those details get overlooked for sure. Item number four on the list of the six things wasting away in your financial junk drawer, 401k statements from your last three employers. Uh Uh-oh, somebody's been leaving their 401ks behind at old employers and they're starting to pile up a little bit. Right, and so you're just getting a ton of paperwork and you have no idea what this overall strategy is because you're, you're invested like this over here and that over there and you know there's no concerted plan for this money. You know, as you get older, more paperwork is a little more confusing. So you need to take a look at should you consolidate all of them to an IRA and if so what should that look like? When you get to that point if you've let this go for a long time and now you're approaching 70 and a half, guess what? You're going to have to take an RMD out of every single one, not just one. So yeah. that's just going to complicate your life a little bit. Yeah, not only the paperwork, but then just the incoherent strategy that's going on between all those different things. That's why it's a perfect candidate to be in the junk drawer, because there's a more efficient way to be utilizing those tools that are just kind of sitting there, not really doing anything. Then we've got U.S. savings bonds, the good old U.S. savings bonds. Those get stuck in the uh, financial junk drawer. I know I got a bunch of those when I was a kid and held on to them all the way until college and then helped use them to to pay for college a little bit here and there. But, yeah, they were kind of collecting dust for quite a while. And you know, a lot of them do. That's what's interesting. When people bring in savings bonds, they're like, what should we do with these? I go, well, if they're beyond the point at which they are earning interest, <laughs> you need to you know, turn them in, sell them essentially to get the money. I mean, it's just cash sitting in the drawer because bonds usually have a, a duration in which they're earning the interest. And after that duration, there's no more interest earned. Yeah. So you know, you've lost five or 10 years worth of interest potential on this money. So Savings bonds are great for a specific period of time or for a specific, you know, strategy. College planning is might, might be one of them, but generally speaking, I mean, it's very safe, but it's rather inefficient, and you do have to go back and look at whether those bonds are worth keeping at this point. Yeah, that's a really good point too, Janine. All right, last thing on the list, the six things wasting away in your financial junk drawer. A vacant lot purchased 15 years ago as an investment. And I'm sure we could expand that beyond vacant lot, but maybe just other types of properties or things like that that you put an investment on a long time ago and maybe haven't done anything with. I see this occasionally. And then people admit that, oh, I've got this piece of property. And oh, you know, I'm like, well, why'd you buy it? Well, because we thought, you know, the land was going to be developed and, you know, we could sell it at a profit. If that hasn't happened in 15 years, <laughs> you need to try to get out from under it if you're paying taxes on it or you're never you're never going to move there, you're never going to build there, you know, because things change, life changes. So there's no reason for you to have this as a quote unquote investment because it really hasn't been an investment. One of the things to take a look at is go to the county office and look at the planning and zoning plans for the county or for that area. If there's no plan to build in the next 10 years or 20 years, you may as well unload the piece of property unless you're going to live on it. You know, it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. In our area, few people could see that like Howard County was going to get so built out. When we moved here, it was very rural and I had no idea I was going to be here for 30 some years. And if I had even thought that way, I would have bought more property because we've just exploded. (laughs) But that's hindsight. So if you haven't, if you don't plan to use this property for something, 
it's not really an investment. I think there is a common thread to kind of cap off the conversation here, Janine, between all these things that are wasting away in your financial junk drawer and the vacant lot or that property that's just sort of sitting there for use one day or maybe it'll work out one day. You just come back to the purpose. You should have purpose for all of your dollars. And so a vacant lot just kind of hanging out there, if its purpose is to be, well, yeah, that's my gambling. Maybe it'll hit it big one day when they announce uh, that they're going to put, you know, Amazon headquarters right next to it. Then, <laughs> exactly. then, okay, fine. That's the purpose of it. But if the purpose of those dollars, or let's say you have a need, oh, well, we have a need to cover our first five years of income in retirement. This is just a hypothetical. And we have nowhere else to get those funds from. But if we sold that investment, well, maybe that needs to be the purpose of that lot is to get that money back so that you can fund your retirement or do something else to accomplish one of your other goals. And so when you start assigning purpose to those dollars, you start looking in that financial junk drawer and saying, okay, well, uh, you know, this pair of scissors, oh, I don't need to go buy a new pair of scissors like I actually just did this morning, Janine, and then came home and, <laughs> and this, is, this is not a uh, false story. This is very true. This is not fake news. Came home and there were two scissors in the junk drawer. And I was like, well, I could have just taken one of those and brought it up to my office. No, and yeah. s- instead I went and bought a new one. So now I have three pairs of scissors that are probably going to now end up in the financial junk drawer or the regular junk drawer at some point. So yeah. look in that junk drawer and see what can be working better before you go buy new. Right, exactly. So there you go. Oh. Well, if you've got any questions about this, uh, Janine's always there for you. You can reach out and call her at 443-718-6311. That's 443-718-6311 and always online at theuswealthadvisors.com. Janine gives you guidance and advice on planning through your financial life and making sure that you're prepared for retirement each and every time we record here on the podcast and each and every day in her offices. 443-718-6311, again, the number, and theuswealthadvisors.com, the place to go. We'll put the necessary links and information you need on the blog post that corresponds with today's episode, of course, as well. So that's the straight skinny on the six things wasting away in your financial junk drawer. Before we uh, wrap up for the week, Janine, a couple other things we want to hit on. First, in the news, Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan, recently said that the next major recession in this country will probably be related to student loan debt. Outstanding student loans now total $1.5 trillion, second only to mortgage debt. How do you advise your clients, Janine, to handle college funding for their kids to hopefully avoid being kind of a part of this crisis? Well, attaching it to a recession may not be the appropriate analysis, but there is the definite ripple effect to what's happening with this huge amount of student debt. You've got 44 million Americans with student loan debt, you know, which is a lot. So almost 45 million really. And 11 and a half percent of those student loans are 90 days or more delinquent or in default. There's a couple things that people need to realize with this student debt is because either the student is in so much debt or the parents who've co-signed on these loans or who have, you know, been contributing to tuition, that's affecting their retirement. Here's the thing. If you've co-signed on loans, they will come after you if the student defaults on the loans. So this could have a significant impact on even your social security. Mm. So he may be talking about those kinds of things because your social security, if you're co-signed on loans and the student defaults on the debt, will be garnished. Wow. Which is, yeah, that's really a shock. But yeah, a trillion and a half is a huge number. And it is impacting the housing market because the students can't buy houses at the rate that we did back in the day because the debt is so high, they're carry, 
the cash carry is so big. So that I think it's a definite problem. And when I'm talking to folks, you know, we talk about this kind of thing. I have a lot of parents who are paying for tuition. And if you can afford to do that, that's great. But I don't like to see people drain their retirement accounts for tuition. Yeah. Because then you're impacting both. Unfortunately, the reason a lot of parents and grandparents will co-sign on loans is because the interest rate on the loan without a co-signer is exorbitant. I mean, it's usury. So, you know, looking at different strategies, maybe your kid doesn't go to a four-year university system at first. In fact, there was a study by Payscale that was done, and they looked at earnings for students that, you know, that have graduated and how well they've done. 19 of the 24 schools they looked at were community colleges. Hmm. And so there's a big push for community college, get the associate's degree. And some of these folks are doing just as well or better than those who are graduating four-year schools, depending obviously on the, the major. Fascinating. You know, it's looking at different parameters or just different goals. Don't think that the four-year college is the answer. I mean, depending on what you're what the student wants to go. In fact, there's a, now some evidence that the folks coming out of high school now are looking at trade schools again mm. because they can graduate trade schools and make 70, 80,000. Yeah. Yep. And you know. skip all the debt and, <laughs> or at least most yeah. of it. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was fortunate to graduate with minimal debt using a lot of scholarships. Mm-hmm award money that I won during school for different journalism awards, which was pretty cool to be able to help fund things. And just mostly just kind of trying to pay as we went. But I worked, you know, multiple jobs all throughout school. And it was very beneficial to do all those things. And I realize that's not the right answer or realistic for necessarily everybody to do. But it's interesting to see the different ways you can kind of, my parents were very much like, hey, Walt, sorry, we're not going to go into debt for, um, you know, we're not going to go into major debt. So you're going to take it on if you, you know, want to go to the school, you're going to take on any debt that you incur. And they told, were telling me when I was, uh, you know, in middle school, <laughs> start thinking about college, <laughs> you know, you better start saving up your pennies. You better do well in school to get scholarships so that you can help afford it and not go majorly into debt. I mean, it was planted as a seed from a very young age. And so was able to graduate with very minimal debt and then spent my first year of my working life throwing every extra penny I had at that debt. And it was gone within a year. And, wow. and my, my wife did the same thing. And now, of course, she's in grad school. It's like a totally different ball game. But <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Well, you know, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Ten years ago, the average debt level was about 17,000. And now it's more than doubled. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I was talking to a gentleman recently that that's the business he works for is getting, helping people deal with this debt. Because there are programs out there that will help you. Now you have to commit to working for a certain period of time, you know, as a teacher, or there are a lot of other professions that you can work in. But if you have to commit for 10 years to pay down the debt, right? I think Purdue actually has a new program. It's called income sharing. So you don't have to pay for tuition. But when you graduate and get your job, you're going to pay them 17% of your income for two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so kind of that wild, some of those good. setups. Yeah. So, you know, strategy is that. But I think even though it's a pain and it's stressful maybe to work as much as you did, you learn so much more about time management and you appreciate the schooling. I think the kids whose parents just pay for everything, that's a disservice. Yeah. And- I didn't like school at all. So I, <laughs> I loved working. I really wanted to... Uh, 
I really would have loved to have just started working right out of college. I just think there was such a value in having that bachelor's degree <laughs> that you, yeah, there is. when I mean, you, when you have doors. the means, yeah. you've just got to go get it. So, I mean, that was just part of the game. And I'm sure I'm not giving enough credit to some of the intangibles that, you know, just the entire college experience gives you. But I always loved working. I started at 16 and I start, I had multiple jobs right at 16 and I've always had kind of multiple jobs and things going on and multiple career angles. And I've just always enjoyed that aspect. I just, I never viewed work as work where I've always viewed school as work, if that makes any sense oh, yeah, at yeah. all. Well, the, the thing that you have then because of all your experience is resiliency. And I think in the workforce, the more resilient you are, the more likely you're to, you are to succeed yeah. at wherever you go or whatever you do. The folks that don't have that and go to school to party, they're the ones struggling. However, I think if you're going to school, you know, and you're going to be in a medical field, that's just an easy one to pick. I'm, I'm not right. saying that's the only one that applies here. So don't, you know, get up in arms if, if other industries apply to this. But I mean, that takes a lot more studying than maybe my, you know, learning how to, you know, write at a fifth grade reading level for a newspaper or broadcast journalism. <laughs> you know, yeah, when I see like what my wife is studying to be a nurse practitioner and what some of my friends were having to do in their biology classes. And I mean, okay, your full time job needs to be studying. Like, that's why yeah. you're here. That is your job to be studying you know, constantly and all the time. And you're going to be detrimental to your future success maybe if you take on too many jobs. I guess it's a different answer for everybody, but it's kind of a fun discussion. Uh, it sounds well, to me, you, though, like you're, you're right. It does, it does depend on the career choice, if you will, yeah. that you've determined. Because, yes, the science career, there is a lot more time that you have to spend. Pre-med, medical school, that's a lot of time, and it is a full-time job. Yeah. You're right. I'm, I'm upsetting all the journalists by saying we don't need to study as much as the uh, as, as the medical folks. But come on, you know, in school, we had a lot more free time to work and do other stuff than those kids taking biology. I think we can we can probably all find some common ground there. Um, yeah. So it sounds like just the last takeaway, your advice, if we were to generalize it as much as possible here, realizing it'll be customized to somebody's individual situation. But in general, don't handle your college funding for your kids in a way that's going to put your retirement funds, your financial future at risk. It's okay to help, but don't yeah. put yourself in harm's way in the process because that's just going to create bigger issues for your kids down the line. Right. Okay, cool. All right. Well, good discussion on that. That's a little bit of what's happening in the news. Uh, headline certainly sparked a lot of discussion between us. What do you think about the student loan debt situations. Are you kind of struggling with that issue currently? If you are, reach out to Janine and she can help look at your situation and talk about some of those strategies and alternatives that might help you better plan for your kid's education. Or maybe it's your grandkid's education that you're focused on wanting to help but want to make sure that it doesn't impact your financial situation or your retirement plan. Sometimes it's just as simple as, I'd like to help out, but I don't know what's reasonable based on my situation to help. You know, can I give this much without putting myself in harm's way or upsetting the apple cart of my own retirement? You know, how generous can I be? Can you help me answer that question? And those are all things you can talk out with Janine. Her number's 443-718-6311. That's 443-718-6311 or online at theuswealthadvisors.com. All right, it's time for a new part of the program here on Your Financial Mission. This is Getting to Know You Time. It's getting to know you time. All right, so this portion of the show, each time, Janine, we're going to ask you for a non-financial answer. It's going to be a question that's just 
designed to poke you a little bit and get some uh, some fun information about you and your personality. So we want to get to know you a little bit better as our host of this program. I'm curious, what's the best live musical performance you've ever been to? I would have to say in terms of musicians or just a concert by a musician, now I'm going to date myself, but I know some of you will remember this guy, Chuck Mangione. I mean, who knew that somebody could be a top-selling musician with a flugelhorn? He came to D.C. Oh, my gosh. This was probably 85? I'm thinking, no, no, probably 82 or 83. But Chuck Mangione came to D.C., I think, at the Dar Hall. And what was so amazing about this performance was he, his team came and auditioned local high schoolers for the backup orchestra. Ooh. That's cool. And they were phenomenal. It was one of the best concerts I've ever attended. Of course, he, his team, I mean, his group was fantastic. And of course, it was all the, it's jazz. It's not a hardcore jazz, but I guess I would call it popular jazz. But I mean, his great pieces with the flugelhorn. And it was just an awesome concert. And the kids were incredible. It was very motivating. That's pretty cool. Yeah, neat. I didn't think you would take that in the jazz direction, so that's pretty cool. Is that more like, kind of like a new age jazz? Is that sort of the... I don't even think it was new age, because this is back in the 80s. Oh, yeah, okay. So Yeah, so, but it was just really good music, and the backup orchestra, they did a fantastic job. Very cool. That's neat when a uh, major performer incorporates kind of a local group like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, something the kids probably never forgot, I would imagine. Oh, I know. Because what, what an experience that would be. Yeah, that's cool. The place was packed, so it was clearly successful. Yeah, very neat. <laughs> Need to see more of that these days, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, that's getting to know Janine Theus a little bit better. Now it's time for us to get to know you a little bit better as we answer a mailbag question to wrap up for the week. This one comes to us from Mike. You can submit your questions online at theuswealthadvisors.com. Mike says, we're about to sell our house and move to a smaller one so that we won't have so much home and yard to maintain as we get older. We'll end up with about $200,000 from the sale of our current house that we don't need for retirement. So I don't know if we should invest it or just leave it at the bank. Does it really matter? Well, like any good accountant, I would, and I'm not an accountant, I would say it depends. <laughs> Do you have heirs? Do you want to leave them something? Do you, so if you don't need it for retirement, why wouldn't you grow it? So there's a conversation about what, what that portfolio structure should look like. Leaving some in the bank, I think is a good idea because I think everyone needs a cash cushion, but it doesn't necessarily need to be $200,000. Maybe it's thirty. Maybe it's 50 hmm. and you put the rest in a portfolio because if you don't need it for retirement, depending on how old you are, you know, you've got 20 years to grow it. And then if you have heirs or you're going to help kids or grandkids, you know, what's the purpose of the money long term? So that would be a conversation we, we would have is what do you want to use it for? And if you're not going to use it, then who are you leaving it to? That's so, a really good question. you know, yeah. that would kind of dictate where you leave it. And I'm always a, a big advocate of having cash cushions just because you just never know when your tire needs to be replaced or something happens in the house. You know, you need an emergency funding. So as you're downsizing and getting older, maybe you want to do some traveling. Most people will do traveling until they're about 80, depending on your health. So that gives you some wiggle room to do some things to it that you should enjoy. Yeah. 
It's a really good question, Mike. Thank you for submitting that one to us. Again, if you've got any questions about something that we discussed on today's program, we invite you to ask those. You don't have to have it featured here on the show. You can just talk one-on-one with Janine at Theus Wealth Advisors. That's the website, theuswealthadvisors.com, theuswealthadvisors.com, or give a call, 443-718-6311. That's 443-718-6311. If you call in, and don't forget to let Janine know that you heard her on the podcast, and she'd be happy to talk with you about that. Maybe you've got some questions of things that you've heard here on the show, and you could certainly go over those with Janine or talk about your particular situation. Tap into that many years of experience helping people navigate through the financial world. And uh, we try to make the complicated a little bit simpler, and hopefully we accomplished that goal on today's show. By the way, don't forget to pick up your Retirement Rescue Toolkit if you haven't yet. This is a free toolkit that Janine has put together, packed with a book, an audio CD, DVD, reports, and other goodies. You can click on the link in the description of today's episode and follow the instructions for how to get your free Retirement Rescue Toolkit. Great way for folks to start the retirement planning process, and uh, if you're just sort of dipping your toe in the water, it's a great starting point. So be sure to check that out, the Retirement Rescue Toolkit. You'll see links for it on the website as well, theswealthadvisors.com. Janine, that's it for today's podcast. Thanks for covering so much ground and talking about the junk drawer. And I think we, you know, avoided saying drunk drawer, you know, too many more times after the initial snafu there. <laughs> and uh, I think everybody Thanks. was... Everybody was clear, though, on what we were discussing, I believe. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. We'll do it again next time. Thanks so much, Walter. All Talk right. to you soon. Take care. That's Janine Theus. I'm Walter Storhol. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time on Your Financial Mission. Your Financial Mission.